0: everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford.
1: And Christian Weatherford.
0: And it's us with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. Where we take your favorite species of animals, and we review them by giving them ratings out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics.
1: We are not zoological experts, though we try our best to find the facts to present to you.
0: We're not getting our information from totally true animal stuff dot biz
1: <laughs>
0: no fake news here i believe that this week it is your turn to go first christian all right i'm really excited to hear about your animal this week i already know what it is but i think it's gonna be great anyway
1: <laughs> one of these weeks i'm just gonna switch it on you no <laughs>
0: chaotic energy that you're bringing into the studio
1: this week, I bring the Atlantic Mudskipper.
0: I'm so excited
1: about this. Yeah. I
0: love these weird little guys. They are
1: a little weird. It's a scientific name, Periophthalmus barbarus. Mm. So Mudskipper in general was submitted by Catherine via email. Uh, mudskipper can refer to any of the living 32 species in the Oxudercinae subfamily. So I just found one species and went with it. Okay. I'm getting my information from the IUCN Red List found at iucnredlist.org as well as the website for Zoo Leipzig found at zoo-leipzig.de.
0: Okay, this is in Germany.
1: Yes. Wow, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I just happened to find this this zoo in Germany, which is an interesting coincidence because the requester is in Germany. And also this zoo looks really cool. Yeah? Yeah. They've got really cool things uh, like okapi, capybara, maned wolf, snow leopards, and a Chinese pangolin.
0: We've talked about almost all of those animals. I,
1: that's why I picked all those. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not the pangolin yet, but it's coming. Don't worry, uh, guys. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But yeah, that's just a little sampling. It's a really cool zoo. It looks like.
0: Yeah, that sounds awesome.
1: So if we ever find ourselves across the pond, yeah, check it out. <laughs> definitely for sure,
0: we'll have to add it to the to the list of stops we make when yep. we do a tour of Europe, hitting up all the zoos that we can find. Seems cool. Maybe we'll uh, do live shows in Europe uh, nice. when we're famous and touring internationally.
1: Also, thankfully, this website has a English version. So, so it's not like I'm having to rely on Google Translate or anything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they came through for you there.
1: Because I don't know a word of German, so I had to look up how to pronounce this this zoo's name. <laughs> I'm so
0: appreciative that you looked it up.
1: <laughs> so, getting down into the meat of it, the adult size of these little guys are up to 16 centimeters long, or about six inches. They are fish. They're pretty slender. Um, they've got these dorsal fins on their back that are usually folded down, but they'll sometimes be flared up. And I'll talk about when they do that a little bit later.
0: And by the dorsal fin, you mean the fin that's like along their back.
1: Yes. They have a very big mouth. It's very wide. They have these two eyes that are very close to each other perched on the top of their head.
0: This is the goofiest looking
1: thing.
0: Because <laughs> it's a goby, right? Yeah. It's a type of goby. Sort
1: of. There, there's a lot of stuff going on there taxonomically <laughs> I don't, i'm not gonna dig into it okay <laughs> well
0: a lot of gobies have this kind of look where they have the eyes way up top on the head yeah. and it makes them look really kind of cartoonish
1: <laughs> yeah and also their pectoral fins so like i guess what would be analogous to arms to us are more underneath them than off to the side like you see in a lot of fish
0: okay
1: yeah and they're angled weird and they look kind of muscular Okay. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Talking about pectorals. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and where you can find the Atlantic mud skipper are in coastal brackish waters. So brackish meaning a mix of fresh and salt water. So you usually find these where a river and a, an ocean meet. That kind of thing. So you'll find them in coastal brackish waters with mudflats like mangrove swamps. And you'll find these along the West African coast from Senegal to Angola. Also the islands of the Gulf of Guinea.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so that Atlantic coast. Yes, not we're on an Atlantic coast, <laughs> just the other one.
1: Right, taxonomically, just a little bit. I mentioned this earlier. They belong to the family Oxidersidae. So, like I mentioned, there's lots of other mudskippers.
0: Okay, there's also lots of gobies. Yes, um, lots and lots and lots of gobies. So you'll see. Uh, often people that have like saltwater fish tanks mm. will have gobies in there. Some of the gobies can be really bright and colorful, which is really neat. Mm. Like you can see them swimming around in the corals and stuff. Gobies mm. are beautiful. And a while back, actually, I talked to, I had a guest on who talked about, they're called Oopu Nopili. It is a gobi that climbs waterfalls in Hawaii. Oh. Very cool gobi. They use, like, you know how you were talking about how their pectoral fins are, like, situated below them? Yeah. In these gobies, those pectoral fins have, like, adapted into a suction cup. Oh, okay. And they suction themselves to like the bottoms of waterfalls <laughs> and use their, and they kind of like jump up these waterfalls.
1: So it's not like a martial arts training movie where they're just climbing up rocks with like their little <laughs> fish fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: it is in some ways kind of like, uh, like a martial arts movie training montage, yeah. you know, cause they have to like fight against the rushing current and, <laughs> and they're it's just little fish. Yeah. And I was thinking about that because during that conversation, I had asked her if they were related to mudskippers. And yeah, the mudskippers are also gobies, so Mm -hmm. kind of similar, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. So kind of getting into our first category of effectiveness, this is a measure of how good they are with physical attributes that help them do what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I'm giving the Atlantic mudskipper an 8 out of 10.
0: That's decent.
1: Yeah. So here's the biggest thing about them. They're amphibious, meaning they live... In the water and out of the water, not that they are amphibians. They are not, they are fish. (laughs) Best of both worlds. (laughs) Now, kind of going back to what I said, where where you can find them, like in these areas of mudflats, that's where you'll find them. Just Mm -hmm. crawling around these moist mudflats.
0: Not a care in the world. (laughs) Just taking a leisurely stroll. Yeah,
1: which maybe, you know, that's a spoiler, because amphibious, in this case, also means that they can move above the water. Right, they're not just
0: sitting ducks up there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So first thing I want to talk about is the breathing out of water.
0: Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Because this is like, I think there's a common idea that fish just can't breathe at all outside of water. Most
1: can't. And that has to do with how most fish, their uh, respiratory system is based on gills that absorb oxygen from the water around them. And those gills can't normally do anything out of water. Kind of same with these guys, but they have gill chambers that can store water.
0: what keep it in their pocket for later
1: yeah yeah (laughs) so they 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 have these chambers around their gills that they'll hold water still pulling oxygen out of that water while they're above or while they're away from the water oh
0: okay yeah store some excess water keep it for later Mm -hmm. that's very smart
1: and mudskippers in general i'm not too sure if it's specific to this one or not but uh they may be able to get oxygen from the air through their skin like some amphibians do
0: yeah i know that frogs and salamanders breathe like this through Mm -hmm. this like membrane in their skin that's why they need to stay wet all the time right like why most like frogs and salamanders have to be around some degree of
1: moisture yeah so these guys are in like wet mud plains sure yeah
0: it's not totally dry no
1: it's like wet mud so this Mm. is usually areas that are mud and low tides so speaking of the absorbing oxygen through the skin, one of the things they have to help with that is a layer of mucus to retain moisture in their skin.
0: Gross. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> They're all snotty
0: and slimy.
1: <laughs> now, here's what's interesting. Um, they actually prefer to be out of the water.
0: Do they really? Yeah.
1: Because the the adaptations that let them move on land makes them poor swimmers. Oh. They <laughs> have
0: flown too close to the sun.
1: You've,
0: they've... <laughs> Tragically followed in the footsteps of Tiktaalik, right? And they will grow to regret that decision.
1: (laughs) So, with their mobility on land, like we kind of hinted at, is they use their pectoral fins to just kind of crawl along the ground. Mm. Yeah, Um, they also do this thing where they they can hop, like they can hop like a foot or so into the air. That's that's impressive. (laughs) That's like
0: twice as long as their length. You know, (laughs) that's that's some air that they can get.
1: Yeah, it's pretty good. And last thing for effectiveness, I want to talk about their eye placement. I couldn't find any details to confirm this or not, but my assumption is that that placement implies a wide degree of vision with little, if any, binocular vision. Mm,
0: okay, we've had some animals like this yeah. before,
1: um, and their position is sit above the water when the rest, when most of the body is going to be underwater or mud or something.
0: Yeah, you just get a little peek, a little <laughs> peek up the top, so you can look around and see what's coming at you. Yeah. You know, there's an old adage about judging a fish by its ability to climb a tree. Oh, yeah. I feel like this one's maybe kind of skirting that a little bit. This is a little bit of a loophole. This fish probably could climb a tree. <laughs> well, I've, I've
1: read things here and there that, especially ones that you find in mangrove swamps, you might see them kind of crawling up the roots of a mangrove tree.
0: mm that's so cool. I love that. Mangrove environments are absolutely off the chain. They're right. so cool. There's always something cool going on in a mangrove. For sure. Especially fish climbing up trees. <laughs> Anything's <makes> sense.
1: possible. <laughs> uh so moving on to our second category of ingenuity. So these are things that they do that are smart, could be hunting methods, could be tool use, that sort of thing. Couldn't find much. I'm just gonna give them a six out of ten. Um, They hunt out of water for insects, worms, and small crustaceans. Okay. So on these mudflats, they're they're looking for things to eat.
0: Now, I will say this. If you're hunting insects and you have come out of the water to hunt the insects, you have put yourself in the insects arena, right? Like, (laughs) you have given yourself... A two-dimensional hunting surface while the insects are flying around in a three-dimensional evasion space.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's limited to flying insects, but yeah. That was just my thought.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe have given the insects a little bit of an advantage. But also maybe, well, crustaceans could scuttle away pretty quick, so... I don't know. I'm just when I'm imagining a mudskipper, I'm not imagining something that's really booking it. You know? Yeah, I, I feel like they're not very fast. It's
1: small things, and they're also digging through the mud to find things. Oh, yeah. okay. So they actually build burrows.
0: Do they really? Yeah,
1: they build burrows in these little mud plains uh, with their mouths. No. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a video on BBC Earth where you can see mudskippers. These are mudskippers in Japan, so different species, but very similar. Um, so in there you can see their courtship dances.
0: <gasps> is it adorable? Yeah.
1: So this is when they flare out their um their dorsal fins, mm, and also okay. this is when they try to jump up in the air because the the idea is if the, the higher you jump, the more likely you'd, you'd be noticed by a potential mate.
0: Oh. Oh, they're having a little contest yeah. that's so in the spirit of the olympics right now
1: <laughs> the males fight by opening their mouths really wide at each other which you've probably seen videos of this too
0: yeah uh, especially
1: set to yelling sounds <laughs> <laughs>
0: it does that's what it looks like yeah. it does look like they're like screaming at each other yeah. which is really funny because they're not otherwise doing much else they're yeah. just kind of like gaping at each other <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yep. And then they'll spawn in, bur- in those burrows I was talking about. And in the video from BBC Earth, you know, they were talking about how these tunnels or these burrows, they have to dig out every day because they get filled in when the tide comes back in. Uh-huh. And you see these little mud skippers with a just, just kind of crawling out of the hole and, bleh, and then just a <laughs> cylinder of mud exits their mouth. Ew! <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so nasty. A little bit, yeah. These are such gross little guys. <laughs> Wallowing around in the mud all day long. Yeah. I love that for them.
1: <laughs> and moving on to our final category of aesthetics. Pretty self-explanatory. Um, how pretty and cute they are.
0: Very, very interested to hear what you gave them for aesthetics.
1: I'm going to say 6 out of 10.
0: Yeah. That's about all, the best they could hope for, right? So,
1: one of the top things I, I find interesting are their pattern designs. So, for this species, these are like white spots along the side? Other ones have more colorful kind of patterns and spots. And I I think they're oddly angled pectoral fins. They're very leg-like.
0: Yeah, it's a little weird, (laughs) isn't it? Yeah. And with the eyes being so close together, because that's like a feature that humans, like primates, associate with other primates, right? Mm. Like the eyes being kind of close together. It puts it a little bit in that uncanny valley, sort of almost like, "Mm, you're not fish enough to be a (laughs) fish.
1: Yeah, it's weird. But I find their dorsal fins to be pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. This, this is something they share in common with those waterfall climbing gobies I was yeah. talking about, is that they, they it's like a little flag yeah. that they raise up on their back, and it's like a little like a little signal, like, hello, it's me, I'm yeah, here, ready yeah. to mate.
1: And then just a little miscellaneous information, uh, this species' conservation status is of least concern. Okay. They have a wide distribution and no known widespread threats. They are harvested in subsistence fisheries, and they have value as an aquarium fish.
0: Oh, mudskippers are. Yes. I'm trying to imagine like how you would set up a.
1: Don't know. A place, like a
0: habitat for a mudskipper, you know? Like how are you going to keep mud?
1: Maybe it's the kind of thing where they can be in a like underwater environment, but they just don't prefer it. I don't know.
0: They're not that cute. You can find cuter gobies. I've
1: seen similar fish. You know the kind that are like burrowing in the sand. You'll see videos of them burrowing. Oh, that sure, they're like sure, Spit sand in each other's burrow. Those are also gobies. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure those yeah. are
0: just different types of gobies. Yeah. You could. There are cuter fish. Get cuter fish. <laughs> Get cuter ones.
1: <laughs> I have no opinion. I don't want to keep fish.
0: Now I have heard it said that based on just the name mm-hmm. Mudkip, the Pokemon. Okay. is partially based on mudskippers. Based on, you know, the name being mudkip and also the fact that it's later evolutions Marsh Tomp and Swampert have like water and ground typing. Yeah. That that's like insp- inspired by the mudskipper.
1: I can see that, especially with Mud Mudkip's uh, little forehead fin, you know.
0: Yeah. I see that too. I
1: guess the combination of that and their tail looks a lot like the the kind of two dorsal fins on the mudskipper. Though it is at least partially based on axolotls as well.
0: Okay, so it's called the Mudfish Pokemon in the Pokedex. Okay. Which makes you think Mudskipper. I suppose. Mudkip, Mudskipper. Sure. But yeah, it looks more like an axolotl or like any kind of... It looks like any sort of larval salamander, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fin on top and the fin on the back does make it look more like a fish, like a goby. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and plus with the, the ground type evolutions, you can see it. A lot of times Pokemon are kind of these like hodgepodges of like, they take a bunch of features from a bunch of different animals and all throw them together. So Mudskipper is definitely in there. And we sure. have talked about axolotls too. So I think we've like completely covered Mudkip. Perfect. On this podcast.
1: accomplishment (laughs) yeah that's the Atlantic Mud Skipper
0: that's a great animal what a charming little guy (laughs) although I will say for a fish it seems a bold move to decide "Mm, I'm gonna make myself bad at swimming in order to let myself be also bad at walking like sure you get access to the land but you're also bad at that and now you're just bad at two things
1: well, some people have looked at mudskippers as a way to learn a little bit more about the first animals that came out of the ocean. Yeah. Because they, they think it's it might have been similar uh, a similar path there in terms of how they transitioned.
0: Mm, they have failed to learn from our mistakes.
1: <laughs> right. Go back.
0: That's docked from ingenuity because they could have just come out of the water a little bit and looked around and be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. It's a good one. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Hey, everybody. Before we move on, I'd like to take a quick second to thank our patrons over on Patreon who keep the show going. This week, I would like to say thank you to Jacob Schick, April Kamik, Bren Everfali, Sarah Peterson, Sophie Ann Nasser, Vikram Baliga, Dalton Weeks, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist Podcast. Thank you all so much for your support.
1: What animal do you have for us this week, Ellen?
0: Oh, you don't know what it is, like at all, do you? I don't think so. Ooh, this is fun. <laughs> or if I did, I forgot. An actual surprise. Okay. Well, I'm so glad you never listened to me. Oh. <laughs> this week I'm talking about the Watson. Do you know what a Watson
1: is? It sounds like a guy.
0: It's just Watson. He's
1: just <laughs> Yeah, he's
0: just sitting there. I'll give you the scientific name and you see if you can guess what it is. Okay. Apisthocomus Watson.
1: It's a fish.
0: That's a great guess, but no, it's not even close. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you another nickname for it that will tell you what it is. Okay. The stink bird.
1: What? The
0: stink bird.
1: (laughs) The stink bird. The stink bird. Yeah. All right.
0: (laughs) This species was requested by Jacob Schick. Thank you, Jacob. And I'm getting my information from a, an article from audubon.org in 2015. It is titled The Watson Misfit Belcher Genetic Mystery by Elizabeth Dietrich and also from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. They have lots of good information. Okay, so if you've never seen a Watson before, which it sounds to me like you haven't, <laughs> they're not huge. They're about two feet long. They have kind of a longish neck, not as long as maybe like our waiting birds that we have around here, but it's kind of long. They have a tiny little head. Their head is really little mm. with a short little beak that looks kind of like a chicken, almost. Okay. It looks like a chicken. And then, but on top of their head, little tiny head, is this crest of these long, bright orange feathers that kind of like swoop upwards. Mm. It looks kind of like a, maybe like a punk- Mohawk sort of thing (laughs) It's really cool Some people call them Like a a punk rock bird I think they look like An anime protagonist (laughs) That's what it looks like To me They have like the swoopy Kind of like bright orange Hairstyle It's pretty cool um, so most of the feathers on their body are like this sort of reddish orange color or black. And along their neck, they have these like bright white stripes, which is really, really cool looking. And then their face around like their eyes and beak is bald blue skin, hmm. like, like a cassowary. Have you ever seen like a cassowary's yeah. head? It's got that kind of like featherless blue skin huh. on the face. Yeah. Very weird looking bird. You're going to find these in swamps and wet forests in the northern part of South America. So around the Amazon and Orinoco rivers. Specifically, they really like to live really, really close to water. So you'll find them like along rivers and streams and stuff. Not You usually will not find them far away from water. They really okay. like to be in the water. Um, now, their taxonomic family is a whole thing. It's <laughs> it's a long road. <laughs> The Watson is the only living species in the opistocomidae family. Their family split off from the rest of the bird families, likely around 65 million years ago. Wow. Which was right around the time of the mass extinction that wiped out like half of life on Earth. Okay. Okay. So like dinosaurs, stuff like that. Birds are dinosaurs. All, all of the birds that exist right now all came from dinosaurs even if at the time they were terrestrial land dwelling dinosaurs like velociraptors and stuff like that Mm -hmm. they are now birds the watson is just kind of a really like just about as clear of a reminder as you can get that birds are dinosaurs because (laughs) it's just you know they they split off from pretty much all the other birds Mm -hmm. um just way back in dinosaur times so they've been living their own life they've been doing their own thing this whole time so very very cool they don't like have any other sort of bird even though they kind of look like chickens and they share some features with other birds like turicos which are these like south american little birds they share some features with other birds but they're just their own thing cool yeah and that has been kind of, like, a big point of contention. People have been trying to figure out what these dudes are since they've even known about them, mm. right? Like, total mystery. Right now it's looking like they're just their own thing. They're just a special, <laughs> unique little bird. Nice. So, my ratings for the Watson, which that's how I'm pronouncing it. That is spelled, by the way, H-O-A-T-Z-I-N. Um, I've heard it pronounced Houtson. I've heard it pronounced Watson.
1: Do you know what language it's from?
0: Yeah, it comes from the Nahuatl language, the language spoken by people that lived there. Okay. I don't speak that language, but I went on Merriam-Webster and I listened to how they pronounce it on that website and I'm going to go with Watson. (laughs) So for effectiveness for this bird, I give them a 7 out of 10, um, which is not my highest rating I've ever given an animal. They have made some very interesting adaptational choices. So one of the most interesting features about the Watson is something that it has on its wings. It has claws on its wings. Long, sharp, finger-like claws on its wings. This is really like a leftover from its days as a terrestrial dinosaur.
1: Yeah, because you can kind of, I don't know, you you see dinosaurs depicted with this, especially like pterodactyls and stuff that aren't dinosaurs, but, (laughs) you know.
0: Yeah, I would think of it more as like a velociraptor. How you would see like their
1: oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. sort
0: of little claw hands you know
1: yeah. or if you
0: think of like how a bat's hand how a bat's wing is analogous to like a human hand you can see where like the elbow and wrist joints are so if you think about that that will help you kind of think of where the claws would be on Watson's wings okay they're kind of on that like edge and you can see it's really pronounced in the babies. So when they're a little baby, they're, you know, they're mostly like downy and fluffy. But you can see they have these long, sharp claws on their wings. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, the claws kind of like fade away. And by the time they're an adult, you really can't tell huh. that they have these, wing- these claws at all. They're like barely even there as an adult. They basically have a normal wing when they're an adult. But so it's really interesting that they still have this when they're really, really young. Because the baby, the chicks... When they fall out of the nest, they use the claws to climb back up. Aww. Isn't that clever? Yeah. They keep their claws so that they can get back up when they fall out of the nest if they're not ready to fly yet.
1: Instead of, I guess I'm dead now.
0: Right. They can just (laughs) get back up. It's okay. They're fine. And this is really cool because since the Watsons like to nest over water, they like to nest like in branches that are like dangling over the river and stuff. Mm -hmm. If the baby falls out of the nest, they can swim to the shore or just like use their claws to to grab like a low lying branch and they can get right back up there, get back home to mom. This is a good idea, right? Sure.
1: I mean, they got to be quick. <laughs> that's true. A lot of waterborne animals that would
0: there's pounce so many, on that. There's so many things. <laughs> there's so many things that they have to worry about. But, I mean, that's a pretty good tool on their belt sure. to be able to get back up to the nest. You know, when you're a little baby, it's life's rough out there. It's dangerous. So if you just, anything you can do to maximize your chances of making it to adulthood is a good idea. Mm-hmm. So something else that's interesting about Watsons is that they are strictly vegetarian. They only eat plant matter. Wow. Yeah, they only eat... They mostly eat, like, grasses and leaves and stuff, but they also will sometimes eat fruits or flowers. Kind of unusual for a bird. Most birds will also eat, like, bugs or, you yeah. know, if they do eat plant matter, that's usually not, like, most of what they eat. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they they mostly eat plants. Sometimes they'll, you know, accidentally get some bugs here and there, but that's really not an I mean, intentional...
1: Who, who doesn't?
0: <laughs> we all do. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: so... What's unusual about the Watson is that their digestive system works kind of like a cow's. Oh. Yeah. So both cows and also some other like strictly herbivore animals like sloths. Yeah. Stuff like that. Their stomachs digest their food using a process of bacterial fermentation. So their stomachs are fermenting the food inside with like a culture of bacteria. So that's what's going on inside the Watson's belly, which is the only bird that does this. So this all is happening inside of their gut to break down that plant material um, since they eat so much plant material. And this has two really important impacts on the Watson that have factored heavily into their effectiveness. All right. The first of all is that the fermentation of plant matter that's happening inside of their belly makes them smell absolutely terrible.
1: Oh, stink bird. (laughs) Stink
0: bird. This is where the stink bird comes in. They (laughs) smell rank. They just absolutely smell disgusting. It apparently smells like cow manure, I imagine, probably because of the similar chemical processes. So they smell... Just terrible, um, which obviously doesn't bother the bird. It's not hindering the bird in any way. But what is helpful about this stink to the bird is that humans cannot stand the smell. Oh, So humans do not hunt this bird for food unless they're like absolutely completely desperate. They're not on the menu. And also people do not like to keep them in captivity I because of how bad they smell. Yeah. So, you know, those are two big, you know, reasons that humans can sometimes be a threat to an animal is for, you know, hunting them for food or keeping them for the pet trade. And the Watson has their bases covered. (laughs) They have made themselves absolutely unpalatable to the human, which is unintentional, but gosh, that's a good strategy. Yeah,
1: kind of right there in the window of, uh, you know, make yourself not wanting to be seen or interacted with by humans at all, but not bad enough to where they will purposely eradicate you (laughs) right
0: yeah they're not going to be like perceived as a threat right in such a way where they're gonna be like oh i gotta go out and kill them you know it's like it's it's not it's really that sweet spot for them um that people don't really typically want very much to do with them at all because they smell so horrible (laughs) so the other thing that this like bacterial fermentation process has on the Watson is that since they don't have that specialized like chambered stomach like a cow does you know how a cow has like a different chamber where the fermentation happens and there's like a different part of the stomach where the food is stored all that stuff so the Watson doesn't have that same kind of specialized stomach so instead their digestive system is sort of like customized it's like moved around a little bit where their foregut where the food is stored and fermentation really takes place that part of their digestive tract is just swollen it is just grossly enlarged so that part of their foregut is just huge yeah um so since it's so much bigger than most other birds that doesn't leave a lot of space for other stuff mainly flight muscles <laughs> <laughs> flight muscles are super important for a bird that flies and this is a bird that flies they're an arboreal bird they live their whole lives in the treetops and they fly around and they're so bad at it (laughs) (laughs) they're like notoriously really bad at flying they have a reputation for being just extremely clumsy and they're like constantly falling out of trees and they they can fly But they only fly for, like, really short distances, and they really seem to hate it. Like, they really seem like they prefer not to fly at all.
1: See, if they just double down, they'll achieve flight that's like a uh, hot air balloon. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: I don't know how much harder they would have to go on the fermentation for that. Uh, Just turn themselves into a little balloon floating around. But yeah, they're really bad at flying, which, as a bird, seems like the one thing you've like really specked into. So I don't. It seems so counterproductive to me. A bit to spend all those millions of years evolving to fly, and then be like, mm, no, I actually just want to digest leaf. I
1: want to eat grass. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they're super buoyant in the water. <laughs>
0: I mean, they have to get back to their nest, right? So that probably helps them. That goes back to the sloth. You know, when we talk yeah. about the sloth, that they had that same gas buildup from yep. fermenting. Fart boat, yes. Yes, the fart boat, um, which I've <laughs> since learned that sloths cannot fart. Um, oh. They can't out of their butt. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what happens is they build up methane inside their body and they actually release that methane through their breath. Uh, so it's like a burp fart but it's not really a burp because it's not like the gas is like escaping in a bubble they just breathe it
1: out oh okay like they're breathing out
0: they're just farting all the time forever through their mouth okay (laughs) (laughs) so you're welcome for that yeah so i just feel like the you know flight seems like it was clearly an afterthought for this bird um very off-brand for an arboreal bird strange choice really think they should have leaned harder into the whole flight thing but listen at least they smell bad
1: (laughs) (laughs) to us at least
0: Uh, yeah i don't know if they like i don't know if they smell bad to other stuff they have predators right so like they must not smell that bad to deter all predators because things will eat them just interesting trade-offs some very uh, perplexing choices that evolution has made for this bird. Uh next category is ingenuity. I give them an 8 out of 10. Wow. Um they're pretty they so they are like clumsy but they seem like they have a lot going on socially. So they're very very social. They oh. like to stick together in these big groups. They like to be in flocks of like 20 to 30 birds all nesting together like in a tree. So if they see a predator, they all just absolutely lose their minds. So they freak out, they (laughs) flap their wings, they squawk and screech and just make tons and tons of noise in order to sort of like startle or confuse the predator. Um, And then while they're doing all this, the babies jump out of the nest. What The babies like just just book it like they're like out of there. So the chicks flee because they know they can get back up with their claws It's a very interesting behavior that they'll be like, they they basically just like sound the alarm and just all set off sirens, basically. (laughs) bombs away. Yeah. (laughs) And the kids just book it and get out of there, which I mean, like they know, right? They know they can just get back up. It's okay. What
1: if it was something that's just on the ground, though?
0: (laughs) Oh, no, you've played directly into their hand. well you know we've talked about how lemurs have different calls for different animals in different parts of like the forest yeah so like lemurs will have like a call for oh no there's a hawk versus oh no there's a fusa in the trees versus oh no there's something scary on the ground you know Uh. like i don't know maybe they have a vocalization that like differentiates between what type of threat they're looking for Hmm. that's not unprecedented but they do have a lot of vocalizations that they use to communicate with each other they're they're known for being very what did you call me spirited what, what was the word you used to describe I've me I've never you oh my it's on the recording <laughs> <laughs> It's on the recording you did. <laughs> They're known for being spirited. They're very expressive. They they like to communicate um verbally with each other. So they have lots of different sounds that they make. They squawk and screech and grunt and hiss and make all sorts of wild sounds at each other and I listened to some recordings of it. It's it's kind of funny. They're very weird sounding birds, but I feel like listening to them sounds like it feels like watching Jurassic Park, you know. I guess it's it feels like what dinosaurs must have sounded like. It's really cool, but yeah, I I feel like I am this bird, like you know. <laughs> a lot of times, people talk about like what animal they really strongly relate to, like what animal they feel like is like this is me as an animal. The Watson's got to be it for me. What they're listen, they're loud, they're expressive, <laughs> they're physically inept. <laughs> Just, no. I, I see so much of myself in this bird. Well, I mean, you you worked out with me the other day, so you're like, you get it.
1: You're way better than this bird.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: 10s across the board.
0: Okay, thanks. Speaking of which, the last category is uh, aesthetics. I give the Watson also a 6 out of 10, um, which may be a controversial take. A lot of people find this bird really, really beautiful, and I wish, I wish I could feel that. I wish I could share that opinion with the Watson stands. Interesting? Yes, absolutely. But beautiful? No, it's not a beautiful bird. It looks like a try-hard chicken, I think.
1: Should do a study of opinions on aesthetics before and after knowing about the stink.
0: Yeah, I didn't factor the stink into it because I haven't smelled it personally. Sure. So like I can't assess to what degree the smell changes the way I feel about the bird. It probably would. It's supposed to smell like cow manure. So just imagine that when you see this bird.
1: And if they if they want to like be in flocks all the time, it's a compounding issue. <laughs>
0: yeah, then there's just a ton of them and then you just get a really smelly tree.
1: Ugh, a noisy, smelly neighbor
0: <laughs> a loud smelly tree yeah so it's an interesting little guy this was rude ebird.com describes them as quote dumpy <laughs> can you believe that they put that on the website they described this bird as dumpy in like the bird guide
1: <laughs> i mean someone had already began dunking on this bird <laughs> stink bird
0: stink bird the dumpy stink bird <laughs> the watson they didn't deserve that listen it's a good bird <laughs> uh and just to wrap things up for the watson their conservation status is of least concern they have a very wide range uh they're found in lots and lots of different places They're also, like I said, they're not hunted. They're not kept as pets, typically. I'm sure somebody out there has one as a pet. And thoughts and prayers are with whoever has a Watson as a pet out there. Um, Rest in peace to your security deposit.
1: If you put its enclosure outside your front door, pretty much guarantee no uh, solicitors.
0: That's true. (laughs) That's true. But you'd have to have like 30 of them. I don't
1: know. I don't know how potent a single one is, smell-wise.
0: Well, but if you have like 30 of them, then you've got like a home security system right there. (laughs) Your house smells terrible and it's very loud. So like nobody's going to come burglarize you. Uh, I'm just saying (laughs) that would probably be a good idea. No, don't do that. Don't keep Watson's as pets. Don't do it. So yeah, that's the Watson. Thank you, baby. Of course. Thank you. Well, that is everything that we had for this week. Thank you so much to everybody who's been listening. And thank you to, um, everybody who's been leaving us nice reviews on like iTunes and Podchaser and stuff like that. That's really nice. That really makes our day. So mm-hmm. please keep doing that. It's very, very kind of you. Um, you can also come hang out with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search the title of the show and you will find us. If you have an animal you would like us to review on the show, get those to me uh, via email at ellen at just of us.com. You are more than welcome to send them to me on social media. I'm just letting you know right now. Email is a lot easier for me to organize. So if you email it to me, the chances are much higher That it will actually be done on the show. Um, Also, I will say if you email me with a request that's not a mammal, the chances are probably going to be higher because we like to talk about like lots of different types of animals, not just mammals, even though I get it. I love mammals. Mammals are great. I love talking about them. They're fun. They're charismatic. Everybody loves a good mammal. But I like to talk about non-mammal animals too Mm -hmm. to reflect biodiversity and most people request mammals so if you request something that's like ooh, give me a reptile an amphibian something like that that's probably gonna get through to the show yeah just a little pro tip for getting your getting your little shout out on just the zoo (laughs) bus um and finally thank you louis Zong, for allowing us to use the song adventuring off of the album b-sides it it really nails it
1: sure does drives it
0: home just like it's about to right now (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Thanks, y'all. And thank you, Christian.
1: Oh, thank you, honey. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.